and Goliath. We've been in this David and Goliath. We've been talking about this story, walking around from all the different angles. And uh, just to, to get us up to speed, most of us have heard the David and Goliath story. So the idea that, that David had a slingshot and five smooth stones and he threw one stone and took down Goliath. What many of us miss is that uh, for days, like 40 days, Goliath taunted the Israelites. So the Israelite army was on the hillside across the valley from the Philistines. And Goliath was just taunting the Israelites. And all the Israelites were scared of Goliath. Nobody would challenge Goliath or fight Goliath. They all kind of just stayed at bay. Gol uh, David, this, this young kid from Bethlehem, comes to, his, to, to bring some food to his brothers. That's why he came to the battlefield, is just to deliver some food to his brothers who were in the, uh, the army of, of Israel. And uh, he kind of sees what's happening, and he's really upset that Goliath is not only taunting the Israelites, Goliath is taunting their God. And he's saying, you, you can't ta taunt God like this, and so you might come at me with, with weapons, but I'm going to come at you in the name of the Lord. And it's for his glory that I, that I do this. And so the, the, the David-Goliath story is one where, where David, this young boy, this probably teenage boy, is standing up on behalf of God because Goliath is, is taunting him. And last week, one of the things that scholars do when they read the Old Testament is every now they, they look at symbolic readings of the story, and many of us have grown up, when, when we hear the story, thinking that we are David, and we have to figure out what the stone is that's going to take down our giant, Goliath. And some scholars understand this story to be representative of Jesus, that, that Jesus is seen in, in the, the figure that we see as David, a young boy from Bethlehem who was a shepherd, is, is Jesus coming to defeat all of our enemy, and that defeat of the enemy is once and for all. We're, we'll still have battles in life, we still have battles, we still have giants in our lives, but but ultimately, we know that the victory is Jesus' victory. Isn't that a beautiful reading of that story? And if, if Jesus is seen in, in the figure of David as overcoming our enemy, then who are we? We're the Israelites. We're the ones who are often um, holding back in fear of whoever that giant is. And what God has for us is not just the victory. God has uh, so much more for us as we walk in who Jesus is, as Jesus is, uh, as his spirit begins to transform us into the image of Jesus, into the likeness of Jesus, so that we all could claim the, the very victory that, that Jesus claims on our behalf. And so um, as we walk through this series, and, and I want to leave us today with this encouragement, uh, looking back as what we've tracked through, and to give us some ideas and, and some ways that we can understand whatever it is, the battle that we're facing. And all of us face battles in this life, don't we? Don't you have battles that you're facing, challenges that you're facing? Some of those battles, it seems like it's the same battle over and 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 over again. Right? It's like the same thing. And we're like, will I ever be able to get past whatever this giant is in my life? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's the same thing. And we're wondering, will we ever get past it? Here's some, some truths I, I want us to walk away from this series with. Number one, 
we can trust God. You can trust God. Do you know that? Do you know that you can trust God with whatever it is that you're facing in life? And really, a lot of scripture, what we find in scripture, is asking us the question, will we trust God? Will we trust God in our lives, in our challenges, in our failures, in our brokenness? Will we trust God, the author of all creation? And I want you, I want you to know that you can trust God with your failures. All of us are human. All of us have shortcomings. Paul says it this way, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us. Right? And we can trust God in our failures and with our failures. He wants us to turn to him and turn back to him. And the biggest question I think in life is, will we trust God, our heavenly father, with whatever it is that we're facing? Number two, and this was the second week of the series, is that honesty, when we are honest, honesty will ultimately lead lead us to freedom in life. You will never find freedom in life until you are honest with yourself, with God, and with some trusted brothers and sisters to walk through this life with. You, you You will never find freedom until you're honest with those struggles that you have. It's one of the beauties, I've been saying this week to week, of of, uh, the 12 steps and the AA program is it encourages complete honesty and transparency with the realities of life. And that program, the 12 steps, that that journey really comes out of scripture. It's the idea that, that we have to come to the place where we are completely honest with ourselves, with our Father in heaven, and with some trusted brothers and sisters which leads us to the next piece and this was the third week of the series is this that that we're better together i mean look at the person next to you and say we're better together you're better with no no seriously look at them and tell them like we're better together we are better together than we are separately listen you can battle the giants that are in your life you can battle the challenges that will come in your life you can do that better with someone else than you can on your own god did not create us to live and to fight our battles in isolation he created us to journey together and that's the beauty of the church it's the beauty of what the church is supposed to be supposed to be and so often we miss it we fall short of this as the church we Sometimes, uh, I said this last week, sometimes we, we say that, we, you know, we create this idea that we've got to be buttoned up when we come into church. You know, the top button needs to be buttoned. It's got to look good. My mom said you've got to wear, you know, your Sunday best to church. Oh, that's uncomfortable. And we, we can, we can uh, if, if we're not careful, we can go so far as to believe that we have to put on a mask before God and before other people around us or else we can't approach God. And that's just not the truth. God wants us to come before him and to be transparent and honest with one another. It's one of the reasons that Paul, throughout the New Testament, again and again and again, said to forgive one another. as, As we journey with, like, to give space for one another's failures. To be patient with one another. All of those things are incredibly important. So we're better together. We need each other. And then last week, we talked about this idea that good fruit can come from difficult spaces. Did you know that? That good fruit, uh, God wants to develop good fruit in you, and it can come from some of the most difficult moments in your life. God, if, if you will plant yourself 
If you'll plant yourself in, in Christ and open your heart and your mind to the Holy Spirit, he can bring about some good fruit in your life, even though all you see is difficulties. Like God wants to bring good fruit. One of the, um, the phrases that we used last week, and I just want to come back to it, I, I've heard from a number of you who have been wrestling with this all week, is, is this next phrase that says, um, whatever it is that you fill in the blank with what your, your brokenness looks like. For me, I talked a little bit last week about anger in my life. Whatever it is that anger is helping you accomplish, love will do a better job. Did you know that? Whatever it is that you have some unhealthy habits or sin or brokenness, whatever you're trying to accomplish with those things, love can actually do a better job. And that is the fruit that God wants to develop in you. If you will plant yourself in him, in Christ, you'll plant yourself there. Which leads us to today. And with the time that we have left, I really, um, I really hope we understand that, that there is joy in the midst of the difficult journey that we're on. That there is joy for us. No matter how difficult the journey is, no matter what giants we're facing, no matter what battles we enter into, that God has joy for us in the journey. But we've got to choose joy. We've got to choose joy. Um, in James, the first chapter at the very beginning, James is writing and he's encouraging and guiding and leading and um, this, this, these young Christians. And he says this. It's such a fascinating passage of Scripture. He says, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that James writes that whenever we have troubles in life, any kind of trouble, it can be an opportunity for some, some good joy as well. That doesn't make sense, does it? Like practically, humanly, that sounds ridiculous. I mean, be honest. Doesn't it sound ridiculous? You're like, I, it's the Bible. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. But it's, it just sounds ridiculous. Like that's not an opportunity. And then James continues and he says, For you know that when your faith is tested... When what we believe or what we trust is tested, then in our endurance can grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, when you find yourself developing this endurance, this patience, this perseverance in your life, that when that becomes fully developed, you will be, what he says, is perfect and complete, needing nothing. And isn't that what we're all looking for in life? a place of, of contentment and rest and wholeness. And he's saying that in the troubles, there's joy that we can choose, understanding that when our faith is tested, there, there can be something developed in us that can get us to a place of rest and comfort. Now, here's the challenge. So if you're going to fade off, stay with me just for a minute. So, so come back, come back, come back. Everybody, you with me? Okay, so here's the greatest challenge. And if you miss everything else today, like, don't miss this. Uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, there's, there's so much about Eugene Peterson's path and his journey and his life as a pastor that's been so helpful to me. And he says this, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. Now, I want you to digest this. There's a great market for religious experience. We want experiences in this world as humans. We want an experience. 
We want to experience something. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition. Just that phrase, patient acquisition. Like, that's like, we don't want that. Whatever patience requires, I'm out. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. There's little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. In other words, we as humans often want to experience something, but we're not as interested in signing up for a long obedience in the same direction. Now think back to what you shared with your neighbor just a little bit ago. What is it that you wish you could go back and do over a long period of time? Play the piano, play the guitar, dribble a basketball, whatever it is. What is it for you that you want to do over a long period of time? And what we all understand at some level when it comes to hobbies or activities is this, that over time it gets boring practicing. It gets boring, doesn't it? I want to hit the game winner. I don't want to go in my driveway when it's 110 degrees outside. Isn't the weather beautiful today? But when it's 110, I mean, I'll go shoot this morning and wear my sweatshirt, but I don't want to go out in the driveway when it's 110 and shoot and dribble and pound the ball on, on, on the pavement. I don't want to do that. You know, we look at different athletes or musicians or artists, whatever you want to, whatever it is for you in life, like uh, I... I really love uh, playing golf. I, I enjoy golf. And you look at golfers on TV and they hit these unbelievable shots and you think, how do they do that? Well, you know how they do that is they don't do it by sitting at home on the couch, eating popcorn and watching TV and wishing they could hit a shot like that. They do it by pounding balls out on the range and on the golf course. And how do they make those crazy putts that they make? They do it by going out on the golf course and hitting hundreds of putts every day to become better putters. But you can say that about even musicians like this. I was talking to Greg Berger. Greg um, has been a part of our church for years and years. He's back here playing this guitar. Um, we have great musicians here. And uh, Greg was like, did you see the Alabama game last night? This is the first thing he asked me this morning. Did you see the Alabama game? And I said, yes, could you believe it? Did you watch it? And he said, no, I didn't watch it. I was practicing for this morning, which made me feel like this big. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I didn't watch it either. I was reading the Bible. But... Um, <laughs> And, 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 and you wonder, like, how does a Greg Berger or a Sean Joplin or whoever, like, fill in the blank, one of the musicians, how do they play what they play and how can they be so good? It's because they're committed to acquiring with patience over the long haul certain virtues or characteristics and what um, Peterson said earlier Christians called holiness. Um, I remember... I've shared this with you before, like when I watched my mom run one of her first marathons, um, I didn't see the start line because I was tired and I wanted to sleep in. <laughs> and I got to the finish and saw her finish and seeing the crowd and the feeling of the finish line of a marathon, if you've never seen it, I encourage you to do it. It's just unbelievable. And I had this like, I want to run a marathon. And so the next day I ran a mile. I was like, how could I ever run a marathon? I can't even run a mile. And you know how you run a marathon? You put one step in front of the next. And you work over a long period of time. Um, marathon training, for those of us who aren't professional athletes, begins with a long run of like five miles one week. And then the next week it's six miles. And then the next week it's seven. 
You know, so it's, it's adding small amounts, but it, it's acquired over a long period. You build up your endurance, as Scripture says, over a long period of time. Every decision we make, every decision that we make as humans is a vote for the kind of people we want to be, who we will become. Every decision you make is a vote in favor of the kind of person that you want to become and I want to become. Does that make sense? Like every decision that we're making each and every day, sometimes we think it's unrelated, but the truth is every decision that we're making in our lives is a vote for who we want to become. And so Paul and the other biblical writers, in Hebrews, one of the biblical, some think it was Paul who wrote it, others aren't really sure who wrote it, but, but in Hebrews it says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, we have all these, these, uh, these witnesses to the faith who are around us, and since we're surrounded, let's make some choices to take off anything that would slow us down from becoming who God wants us to be. Like, Let's get rid of any weight that slows us down, especially any sin and brokenness that so easily entangles us or trips us up on the journey. Like, let's get rid of those things and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. There that word is again, endurance. Endurance. Patience. Perseverance. And so what I want to say to you this morning and what I want to say to myself is don't give up. Don't give up. Do not give up. Parenting is hard. I thought there would be an amen in the, in the room. Have you ever had kids? Parenting is hard over the long haul. But parents, don't give up. Don't give up. Patience and perseverance will pay huge dividends if we don't give up. Marriage. Don't give up. Marriage is hard. Somebody was waiting for me to say that. <laughs> Marriage is hard. It's di- <laughs> oh, you're in trouble. Um, it's hard. Don't give up. Patience and endurance and perseverance will pay huge dividends down the road. Don't, don't give up. Don't quit. Paul. Let's talk about Paul for a second. Paul, one of the very first Christians, he he began his journey persecuting Christians, putting Christians to death, and God transformed him and changed him. And listen to how his perspective changes. He's he's talking about, he's writing writing to a group of Christians in this church who are being swayed by others who are coming in and bragging about how awesome their visions of God are. And so Paul is trying to kind of ground everybody, and he's trying to help them understand that we all have challenges and brokenness and and things in our lives to keep us humble and keep us trusting God over the long haul. So he says this, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. It's a fascinating little scripture. We don't know what that means. We're not sure. You could read scholars have all kinds of ideas about what that is. But he says, uh, to, to keep me from, from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And so you wonder, did God give him that? Does God give us thorns in the flesh? Does God give us challenges? But look what he says next. A messenger from Satan, so it's from the other side, the enemy, um, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. So his perspective is the challenge that's in front of him, the sin, the brokenness, whatever that is, the thorn in his flesh, that he believes is something to keep him from getting 
proud, from getting too proud, that for pride taking over. Now listen to what he says. Three times I begged God, the Lord, to take it away from me. Three times. Remember how I said sometimes it feels like the enemy is the same enemy again and again and again and again and again. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. He said like three times I asked God. And some of you are like three times? That's weak. I've asked five. Or seven. It's like the perfect number. He's three times I asked God. And each time God said, my grace is all you need. For my power works best in weakness. When we understand the weaknesses that we have, it's not saying embrace the weakness. Paul's not saying that he's embracing his thorn and he's just like letting it have its way. No, no. He said, look, God wants us to understand that his grace is all we need when we come face to face with the weaknesses that we have. And so he says, now I'm, I'm glad to boast. Now that idea there, if, if we're not careful and we read this out of context, we begin to think, oh, that means I can go around boasting about my weakness. But that is not what Paul is saying. The reason he's writing this is because the Christians are being swayed by those who are boasting in these grand visions of God. We have all these grand visions of God, so you should listen to us. And Paul's saying, I'm not going to be like them and boast in all these grand visions, I'm actually going to boast about my weakness to you because it's in my weakness that God can be made strong. Like he's made strong in my weakness. So I'm now I'm glad to boast about my weakness because it is the power of Christ in me. When I am weak, it's then that I am strong. Because of his own power? No, because of what it allows God to do in him. Don't give up. Don't give up. The hard work, Peterson says again, this is a Peterson kind of morning. Uh, the hard work of sowing seed in what looks like empty earth, as every farmer knows, has a time of harvest. In other words, um, you know, when farmers go out and scatter seed, they're scattering seed into like what looks like dead ground. And it looks like it's wasted wasteful, doesn't it? Like, just to go out and throw seed everywhere? Like, that seems like it's wasteful. But eventually, every farmer knows that there will be a time of harvest. And Peterson says, all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our emptiness, all of our disappointment, this is seed. Sow it in God. Give it to God. Plant it in God. Trust God with it. And look what he says. God will finally bring a crop of joy from it if you'll trust him completely with whatever brokenness, disappointments, failures, and sin that you have. Like, give it to God. Here's what I want you to know today. Like Paul says, I am certain that the God who began a good work in you is not finished. And I know sometimes it feels like you've you've hit a dead end. Listen, God is not finished with you. Aren't you thankful for that? That should bring about some joy in us right there, that God is not finished with us yet. I am so glad that God has not discarded me because I'm, I'm not worthy of what God has given me, but I am confident that the work that God has began in me and the work that God has began in you 
is a work that he will continue. Do not give up on God because God will not give up on you. Listen, church, do not give up on God because God will not give up on you. Stay the course. Continue the long obedience in the same direction. And when that same giant rears its ugly head again, sow it into God. Trust God with whatever it is that you are facing and see if God won't bring up a harvest at the right time. Do not give up. And do not accept the labels that the world and others want to put on you, that the enemy wants you to understand. Don't accept those labels. And here's the last thing I want to say as we close this series, is that failure and weakness and brokenness and sin do not define me, and it does not define you either. So don't accept that label. God defines you. Receive the identity that God has for you as one of his dearly beloved children. As you find those giants in your life, and maybe it's some habitual sin that just keeps you feel like dragging you back into the valley again and again and again. Turn back to God every time you face it and see if he doesn't give you a new path. Don't be defined by it. Don't throw up your hands and say, it's just who I am. It's what I have to bear in this life because it's not. Jesus has won the victory for you. Trust him with it. Plant yourself in him. Sow the pain and the brokenness, the disappointments back in God. And he will bring joy for your journey. What God has done in the past, he can do in the present, and he has promised to do in the future if we'll trust him. Stand with me, and I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to sing one last song this morning as we close. And as we do, there's communion in the back of the room. And maybe today um, is a day that you need to take communion and taste God's forgiveness. A little cup of juice that reminds you of the, the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you. A new covenant. A, a little piece of bread that is a picture, a symbol of his body broken for you give you forgiveness sins that we all commit in the corners of the room are candles light represents God's presence and some of you feel like you're surrounded by darkness today and maybe your response to God in this time is to light a candle and say God I need your presence I need your spirit to come into the darkness of my soul my my mind my my world and bring your goodness, your good fruit. So as we sing, just feel the freedom to move around the room and respond to God however you need to respond to God. Father God, we turn back to you this morning. We trust you. We trust you. We open our hearts to you in honesty. We pray that you would uh, work in us what you did in the past, we pray that you would do again. And we pray
pray this in the name of Jesus.